North Park family, thank you for inviting us into your experience today. You are in for a treat. One of my favorite speakers on the planet is going to be sharing God's Word with you today. I don't know that there's a pastor who knows more about God's Word and does a better job of pastoring this city than my friend, Pastor Chris Sloan, the pastor of Good Shepherd Church in Vero Beach, Florida. And so today I want you to secure your Bible and I want you to get ready to dive in as Pastor Chris shares God's Word with us today. Hey, good morning, North Park family. Hope you're doing so great today. Uh, it's a real honor to be with you again. Um, I'm always a little jealous. Okay, I'm really jealous of the train station uh, that you guys get to film at and the incredible job that Jonathan does and also Pastor Anthony and Stephanie and your, your entire team uh, really do an amazing job putting everything together. Um, just want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 27. And we're going to talk about something really awkward today um, that's probably going to make you uncomfortable. So go ahead, grab, grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4, verse 27 through 45. All right, now that you uh, have your Bibles turned with me and you're in uh, John chapter 4, verse 27, let me give you a little bit of context this morning. Jesus has just had a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And, and that's a huge deal in this culture. In fact, there were certain Pharisees that were called the Brotherhood of the Bruised and Bleeding. And the reason why is because when they were walking in public, if they happened to see a woman, they would close their eyes immediately because they didn't want to be accused of looking at a woman. They didn't want to be guilty of lusting after any woman. So they would immediately just close their eyes and continue to walk. And they would bump into buildings, trip over tables, knock things over uh, and, and be you know, bloodied and beaten up just because they don't want to be guilty of looking at a woman. And so Jesus is having a conversation with a woman. Not only that, a Samaritan woman. These two groups did not speak to one another. Many times people would travel uh, to avoid Samaria. They would travel six days instead of three days. Uh, if you cut through Samaria, it, it, it cuts the trip in half, but they wanted to avoid the Samaritans. And if you look into the, the history of this, um, th this split between the two, uh, very quickly, uh, King David was the king over a united kingdom, his son Solomon. After Solomon, uh, his son became king, and there was a split. Ten of the twelve tribes of Israel went on to form the northern kingdom called uh, Israel, and two stayed and became Judah. Two separate kingdoms, two separate kings. Um, and what happens historically is the Assyrians come and, and, and take over the northern kingdom. And a part of doing that, they send people into exile, but those that they left there uh, in, as a way to keep them from growing up and wanting revenge, they bring some of their own people to Israel, have them intermarry, create a new culture, and try to wipe out the Jewish culture. And so there are these people that maybe have a Jewish father uh, and a non-Jewish mother or vice versa, and it was a way to get rid of that culture. So the southern kingdom is later exiled to Babylon, and when they come back and they want to rebuild, uh, they find these people that they do not consider God's people anymore. And so from there, they begin kind of this war with one another where uh, the people in Judah are trying to rebuild the temple, and they did not want the help of the people from the north. And so the north actually tries to stop them. Um, at one point, once the temple's completed, the people from the north bring human bones and put them at the temple to defile it. 
They build their own temple and the people from the south come and destroy that temple. So back and forth, back and forth. Jewish men do not talk to women in public, especially a Samaritan woman. Well, Jesus does just that. And if you know the story, um, I would encourage you to go back and read it. But this is picking up right after this conversation where Jesus just lovingly leads this woman through um, this great conversation that points out some things in her life, but also um, affirms the love of God in her life. So the disciples have gone to uh, get food. Jesus has been at this well. Here's what happens. Just then the disciples come back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. See, they're, they're surprised. But no one said, why, what, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So they're used to Jesus doing some things kind of different. They're like, you know what? We're not going to ask what's happening here. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town, which is a shocking detail. Um, this this five-gallon water jug would have weighed about 40 pounds when it was full. You would use it uh, for bathing, for cooking, for cleaning. Uh, you do not leave the jar unless you are so consumed and so ecstatic about something else. And so she runs off, and here's what she does. She goes in and says, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ or uh, the Messiah? Okay. Now, again, this was a big deal. Uh, rabbis would say, let no one talk to a woman in the street, not even his wife. Okay. Don't even talk to your wife in public. Um, not because you're fighting, but just in case somebody doesn't know that's your wife. Jesus ignores that, has a conversation. Rabbi said, it would be better to take the word of God and set it on fire than to give it to a woman. And yet Jesus, who is, John tells us at the beginning, the word, the Logos made flesh. Jesus gives his word to this woman and she begins to uh, evangelize. She begins to witness. She begins to say, listen to my story. It says they went out from town where they were. They went out from the town and were coming to him. So all these, these Samaritans begin to come to Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him and they're saying, hey, you need to eat. Uh, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now the disciples like me, or a little slow here. And the disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something else to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus says there is something so satisfying about uh, doing the will of my father. It is even more satisfying than food. It is a deep satisfaction. He's actually saying to the disciples, you can't fully live a, a satisfying life unless you are so in tune and in step with what your heavenly father is doing. So the disciples at this point are a little confused. And here's what Jesus says. He begins to, to talk about a Jewish proverb about farming. He says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Now, here's why this is really cool, because they're in a, near an area called Sychar. And Sychar is in the midst of a region that is, that is still famous for its corn. Okay? And, and where they are at in Palestine, sometimes it's very limited where you can farm because there's lots of stony, rocky areas. Uh, but nowhere else in the country would it be possible to look up and see these waving fields 
of golden corn. And yet Jesus uses this corn as an illustration. And he says, look, he starts talking about harvest. They were talking about food. And he says, let's, let's talk about harvest. Let's talk about food. Let's talk about these things that we should be doing. Verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And it says, And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. If we have heard for ourselves, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So Jesus he just puts on a clinic for us here about evangelism and discipleship. He has this conversation. He meets this woman at a place where she, uh, he begins the conversation with something she is interested in, water. Uh, he, he begins to ask her questions that lead to her curiosity. He begins to share truth about her broken situation and then affirms her in such an incredible way that she immediately begins to go out and share. But here's what's interesting. The people she shares with first believe her word, her story, her testimony, but then they begin to believe the word Jesus for themselves. He's just absolutely laying out this foundation of what discipleship will look like for the church and for us today. Here, here's the dilemma I'm dealing with. This is a great story. But the challenge in this story is it's about evangelism. And evangelism can be really awkward, can it be? Uh, maybe when you hear evangelist, you think of, of televangelist. You think of somebody like in a, uh, a shiny suit trying to sell you something. Or, or you think of, of handing out tracts. Or you think of uh, really awkward conversations where you walk up to someone you don't know and say, Hey, have you ever told a lie? And they're like, what? And, and then you kind of, kind of lead them through. And, and it's intimidating, right? It's, we know we're supposed to witness. It's one of the last things Jesus tells us to do in the book of Acts. He says to go out and to do this, but it's intimidating. You know, what if I don't know enough? It's awkward, okay? It's, it's, it's scary because what if you just make things worse? What if your presentation of the gospel is so bad it actually confuses people more? Here's a big question. We're not even sure where to start. Where do we start. Well, you can see in John chapter 4 verse 28 in this story, we see exactly how it's done. So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, "Come and see a man who told me all that I had ever all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ or the Messiah?" They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, does Jesus command her to go? No, there's no command. There's no Jesus saying, now listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. I want you to create some small groups or here's some pamphlets or I want you to create a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, here's some, some, some lines you can use. No, he, he doesn't do any of that. Actually, what happens is no one tells her to do anything. And some might say, well, the reason she does it is she's thankful and she just admires Jesus. Well, if she was just admiring Jesus and she just had gratitude toward Jesus, 
she most likely would have stayed with him, right? She would have wanted that conversation to last longer and maybe gain more teaching and more information. Maybe she should have stayed and had more teaching before she went out, more training, but she doesn't. She just leaves the jar for water and goes and begins to tell her story. Here's what's interesting. It's the love of Christ that just drives her and compels her to go and share. All right. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Let's say you go to work uh, next week and they just say, you are the greatest employee we've ever had. You know, we want to give you a bonus. We want to give you a new office. You're just incredible. And for the next 45 minutes, all of your fellow coworkers come out and share stories of how you've inspired them to be better. Let's say that every time you walk in the room, there's a, you know, just a standing ovation. There's just all this affirmation that you are loved and accepted and celebrated. What does that do to you? Normally what it does is it causes us to want to affirm others. You know, that day when you go to lunch, you might actually tip a little bit more. When you get home, you're going to hug and kiss everybody. You just kind of feel this excitement, this energy, because you have been so affirmed by people that you value that now you want to do the same. It kind of overflows from you. Now imagine meeting Jesus face to face, not just knowing the story and and all of us can kind of walk somebody through that, but, but she experiences Jesus and the natural overflow of experiencing Jesus is to want to share him with other people. It's that you're so full of joy about Jesus that it overflows. And and the New Testament actually uses this word overflow to describe evangelism. All right. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, it says that our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Now that phrase, depending on your translation, deep conviction is actually our word for overflow. So it says, look, we didn't just come to you with words, but with power and with the Holy Spirit overflowing. See, it's the work of the Spirit to glorify Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit's in you and and, and has filled you, then what overflows in you is a desire to glorify Jesus and make him known. So really, the, the first thing we need to know, the pressure is off in evangelism because it's, it's, it's actually going to have a lot of spontaneity. It's a spontaneous thing because you are so filled with the Spirit. You are so in love with Jesus that Jesus overflows into every conversation and every opportunity. You, you don't even have to really force yourself. There is a possibility that you are so in love with Jesus that it just flows from you. And that's the experience this woman has. Now, so here's the first thing. Evangelism is really an overflow of our experience with Jesus. The other thing I want you to know is it's never a one-person job, all right? We see where maybe a pastor preaches a message or a missionary goes on the field, and we think that person has an incredible gift, and, and there can be a gift. But we assume that that was a one moment, one person job, when actually in scripture, It's never a one-person job. Evangelism is this process, and and Jesus begins to talk about, right, of planting and, 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 and sowing and harvesting. You see, he says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Still using those terms, he says, I sent you to 
to, to reap something that you didn't plant and that you didn't work for. Paul says this. Paul says in Corinthians, I planted, another watered, but God gave the growth. Jesus goes on to say in John 4, 38, others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Now, Jesus doesn't specify who the others are, but he's indicating that before this woman, someone else had begun, had began this work of planting and sowing. Here's what we know. John 3 verse 23 says that John was baptizing at Enon near Salem. Archaeologists tell us today that Enom near Salem was actually very close to Sychar and Jacob's well where Jesus and the disciples and the Samaritan woman are today. So John 3 tells us that John the Baptist's ministry had gone to this area. And it's very possible these people had heard John or his disciples speak about the Messiah before. And so what happens is this woman is reaping the harvest that John and his disciples had planted. And Jesus is teaching the disciples a lesson here. Here's what he's saying. You're never alone in the work of evangelism. Someone has always come before you. Someone will come after you. And sometimes we get to see the result. But sometimes we're just a part of the process. But it's never wasted. There is never a moment where you open your mouth about King Jesus that it's wasted. We see later in Acts chapter 8 that Philip goes to Samaria and he begins to preach the gospel and it says that their city was filled with great joy. It also goes on to say in Acts chapter 8 that when he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. In fact, there's so much success that after Philip, we're told that Peter and John come there and they begin to pray for people to be filled with the Spirit. They go and preach and it says, And they return to Jerusalem after preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. You see, this woman goes out out of an overflow of her experience with Jesus. And it just begins to spill out. But she didn't start the process. Before her, John began to sow seed. The woman began to do this as well. The disciples and Jesus, and then later Philip, and then later Peter and John. You see how many times the Samaritans are getting to hear the gospel, this process. You are never alone in what you're doing. What you say for King Jesus is never wasted. You know, a passage that we always share is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what does Jesus say? You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. If you look in the Gospel of John before Jesus ever says that in the book of Acts, in John chapter 2, Jesus is in Jerusalem. In John chapter 3, Jesus is in Judea. And in John chapter 4, Jesus is in Samaria. But look what happens. The Samaritans in John 4 declare Him to be the Savior of the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world. You never go somewhere where Jesus hasn't already been working. You simply share out of the overflow of the joy that you have for King Jesus. And you are a part, you are a co-laborer in something that has been going on long before you and will most likely continue long after you. So do not be overwhelmed at the size of your city or school or office or task because Jesus has already been working. 
Now, if you want to get really practical this morning, here's what you need to know. Jesus simply had a passion for people. It says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He really didn't. Jesus had to go because he wanted to be there for this moment. But Jesus could have taken another path. But Jesus was so passionate. He was so satisfied in the work of being on mission. You and I must be passionate to reach people. The next thing we see is that one person matters. Jesus defies his thirst and exhaustion to have this conversation. Jesus began where the woman's interest was. She wasn't there to discuss spiritual things. She was there because she was thirsty. And so Jesus begins a conversation about water. Then Jesus begins to draw out her curiosity. Simply put, Jesus asked great questions. So here's how I want to encourage you today. Paul Tripp calls it a willingness to respond to the need that God puts in your place and he puts in your path any time, any place. Say it again. A willingness to respond to the need that God puts in my path anytime, any place. You see, I want to encourage you this morning. The pressure is off when it comes to evangelism. Scripture says the Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts people. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to people. The Holy Spirit brings them to confess. And the Holy Spirit assures them that they belong to God. It is not your job to bring people from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. It is your job to speak and challenge and urge and encourage. So being very practical, here's where we start. Get curious and ask great questions. In a conversation, get curious, ask questions. You don't always have to give information. Begin to ask them questions. Always be other-centered, serving needs and loving well. Jesus asked great questions. He was always other-centered. He was always looking to serve and introduce Jesus into every conversation. You don't have to be awkward with it. Bruxy Cavey at the Meeting House says that they, they encourage people to, to bring Jesus into every conversation. They call it sneezing Jesus in a response to every question. It's very simple. Here's how it works. The answer really to every meaningful question is Jesus. So try this. You know, that reminds me of a story Jesus told. That reminds me of a teaching of Jesus. That reminds me of something Jesus did. That reminds me of something the Bible says about. These are just conversations, parts of a conversation that in, in a very loving way can lead to Jesus. But remember, the Holy Spirit is working. Somebody has come before you. Someone will come after. And let this conversation be an overflow of your love of Jesus. Here's baby steps. If you don't even want to go there, you say, I can't even remember a story about Jesus. Then say this. You know, that reminds me of something I heard in church. Or that reminds me of something I've read in this book. Would you like to hear more about it? There's an incredible story of how the gospel came to Korea in 1866. At that point, Korea was closed off to all outsiders. In fact, it was known that if you went to Korea and you were a foreigner, they would kill you. There was this group of adventurers they described themselves as, but it was kind of a rough group of guys with, with weapons, and, and, and they just kind of wanted to defy the Koreans, and they wanted to get on the land and see what it was all about. But there was one man that had to fight to get on the ship. He didn't bring any guns or weapons. He actually brought Chinese Bibles. He was a missionary who had been a missionary to China, but now had found out through talking to some Koreans in China that the people in Korea who were educated could actually read a Chinese Bible and understand the gospel. 
And he began to be so passionate. There was such an overflow in him for people in Korea to know the gospel of Jesus Christ that he, he fights to get on the boat armed only with these Chinese Bibles. And history tells us that they were on this river trying to get uh, into China. And what happens is they get stuck. And the Koreans come out and begin to shoot. And this, this kind of battle breaks out. The guys on the boat begin to shoot back and there's weapons. Well, the Koreans kind of send these small ships that were just on fire, these bonfires on a little boat that begin to crash into the ship and the ship begins to burn and sink. And so everyone has to jump off the ship and they've got guns and they've got weapons and, and, and there's this battle between these guys on the boat and these Koreans. But the story goes that the Korean people noticed there was one guy who didn't have any weapons. His hands were filled with Bibles. And as he was running towards the people and they were shooting at him, he was throwing these Bibles to them. In fact, he got so close that as they continued to beat him and stab him, he was thrusting the Word of God into their hands. About 30 years later, Korea begins to open up and missionaries are now allowed to come. And one particular Presbyterian pastor goes and begins his ministry. And one of his first converts brings a Bible that he owned that had been given to him by his father that was actually kind of covered in blood that had dried up after 30 years. You see, his father was there that his father had been passed down this Bible. His father was there. His father had experienced and seen what took place. And he passed the word of God onto his son who simply became a convert, not because of that one missionary, but because of a man that came before him and gave his life so the gospel could spread. You see, the great story is someone has come before you. Someone has come before you into your home, into your workplace, into your children's lives, into your spouse's life, and he's began a work that you get to be a part of. It's an overflow of your experience with Jesus, but it's something it's not a one-man show. Jesus has been working before. He has sent others before. He has sent you now, and He will send others later. It's never wasted to proclaim the message of Jesus. I hope that this was helpful, uh, that it, it makes uh, maybe sharing your faith not quite so awkward. Um, I have a PDF document with some other information uh, that we'll make available to you that will help in your journey uh, to share your faith and to be a witness of Jesus Christ. I want to pray with you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. Let us be witnesses for you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you and have a fantastic week. I am so thankful to be in partnership with pastors and leaders like Pastor Chris and last week, Pastor Josh, a great friend of mine. I'm so grateful for these guys. I'm grateful for the investment they make in you as a church family. And I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity together to pastor our community, to invest in lives around the world. And such a great honor to do that as we continue to partner with Carlos and Raquel and El Salvador. Like God has just opened so many doors for us as a church family because of you, because of your investment. So I want to thank you for the way that you continue to give to build lifelong followers of Jesus. And today, if you'd like to make a financial investment, you can do so by jumping over to northparkrdu.com and hit that online giving button. Also, if you've not plugged into a life group yet, why? Why are you missing out on that incredible opportunity? Life change, which we all need. We're all after. Life change happens, not in great intentions, 
We all have great intentions, right? We have great intentions to do all kinds of stuff. Life change happens in the context of meaningful relationships. And life groups at North Park, this church family, it is a great place for you to plug in and experience that life change. So just head over to northparkrdu.com, send us a message and let us know that you're ready to get plugged in. If you're new to North Park, we have a digital connect card. I'd love for you to fill that out. Gives us a great opportunity to, to, to get to know you, but also to put some great resources in your hands too. We are on this journey together. We are with you. You are not alone. You are loved and we are cheering you on.